Anyone who has ever raised children knows that one of the first phrases children learn and begin saying already at a very early age is, that's not fair. Whatever the cause, crying not fair is something children do a lot. Grown-ups decry this too. We believe deep down that life should be fair, that there's right and wrong. And so when unfairness or wrongness seem to come out ahead, we sense that there's no justice, that something's wrong, and so we protest. Well, justice is a big theme in the Bible, too, and today on Groundwork, we begin a new series to explore biblical contours of justice. Stay tuned. From Words of Hope and Reframe Media, this is Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose, and today we welcome our listeners to a four-part series on the concept, the biblical concept, of justice. And we're going to be drawing inspiration in this series from a book that came out in 2016, The Justice Calling. And that book was written by Bethany Hanke Huang and Kristen Dede Johnson. And in fact, Kristen Dede Johnson will be joining us for the third and fourth programs of the series. And we're looking forward to welcoming her to the program. Right. But in these first two programs, we want to try to set the scene a little bit and then be able to converse with Kristen about why they wrote the book and, and some of their thoughts and that went into it, uh, some of the practical lessons they drew from their study. But first, we'd like to sketch out some of the biblical background, maybe call it the biblical landscape, to survey what the Bible has to say about the idea of justice, which is, after all, much in the news today. It's an important topic in our culture, in our societies, as we think about many of the people who perhaps have been less visible, who've been oppressed even uh, historically, or newcomers. So justice is a hot topic, but it's always been important from the standpoint of Scripture. Uh, You know, there are some biblical terms that aren't much in common use anymore today. That's not true of justice, but usually where we hear about justice are on TV shows, the Justice Files, or there's a show recently called American Justice, and then there's one just called Justice. And Every single one of those shows are about cops and detectives and judges and lawyers and prosecutors and making sure that criminals go to jail and that victims uh, get some satisfaction. And we think, well, that's justice. Uh, Justice is about criminal justice. Well, that's a little bit involved, but really the biblical idea of justice is broader and more robust than just that. Yeah, it's much bigger. We need to start, I think, by stepping away from our common word association ideas with respect to justice. You know, we're filled with this. Now there's reality shows uh, on all this stuff about cops and about, as you say, courts and judges. And C.S. Lewis actually pointed out there's a whole book in the Bible called Judges, but not one of them ever picked up a gavel or donned a black robe. It's not Judge Judy. (laughs) No. It's not People's Court. Um, so uh, as we turn to Scripture and begin, and, and actually, maybe we can introduce a distinction at this point right from the outset. Much of our justice system, our criminal justice system, is concerned with what we might call retributive justice. Right. It's punishing crime. It's deterring evildoers. It's trying to protect the innocent. That's important. Yep. That's part of it, as you said. But What the Bible is more commonly interested in and concerned about is something we could call distributive Mm -hmm. justice, uh, which is more about fairness and uh, flourishing 
for everybody so that everybody has a place at the table and a piece of the pie. Right. And it's so important to God, and we get this a lot in the, the what we sometimes call the minor prophets, the 12 prophets uh, in the Old Testament, which include like Micah and Zephaniah and Zechariah and Malachi and, and also Amos. Let's listen to a couple words here from Amos 5, where God through Amos is assailing the Israelites for a lack of justice in their lives. God goes so far as to say, I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. The offerings of uh, your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And right. so this is a classic passage, Dave, yeah. that says God is so invested in justice happening in our world, if we worship him in the absence of justice, our worship doesn't please him, it nauseates him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those first verses are really important in setting this up because one of the chronic problems of, of the people of Israel later in their history Mm -hmm. uh, they they kind of turned away in large measure, at least many of them did, from crude idolatry, like the worship of the golden calf in the wilderness, that sort of thing. And many of them did frequent the temple, and they, they worshiped God with psalms and songs and all that. And God says, you know, that's not good enough. If you're living a life of injustice and oppression, if you're grinding the nose of the poor in the mud— your praise songs make me sick. Right. I can't stand it. Instead, he says, let justice roll down. And uh, in a book that Nicholas, the philosopher Nicholas Walterstorff wrote years ago, he said, now listen, when Amos declares, let justice roll down like a mighty stream, he did not mean let police forces expand, let prisons proliferate, and let criminals get their just desserts. No, justice, as you said, but Dave, is not just this retributive justice where criminals get payback. It's distributive where all people are treated fairly, which is why, as you mentioned earlier, C.S. Lewis said, you know, if you look at the book of Judges and people like Samson and Deborah and and, and, and Barak and the rest, they didn't sit behind desks with, with gavels and black robes. They were champions for justice sallying forth into society to make Israel treat everybody fairly. Yeah, and one of the ways uh, that Huang and Johnson get at this in their book, The Justice Calling, is by early on mentioning a number of important terms biblically, especially in the Old Testament, that expand on or accompany the idea of justice. So they talk about righteousness. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's right out of Amos uh, 5, verse 24. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness mm -hmm. like an ever-flowing stream. And these two things are sort of knit together in the character of God. And they also talk about holiness and shalom, or peace, a term we've often referenced on Groundwork, and the Hebrew word chesed, or hesed, uh, which means uh, God's loving kindness yeah. is the old translation, his steadfast love, his long-term engagement with his world and with people, uh, and how he won't give up on them. Right. And that's very interesting. So what that means is, is we're not going to know what justice is supposed to look like in our lives, in the church, and in the societies where we live. We're not going to know what justice looks like if we don't know what God's righteousness looks like, because biblically there is a tight, tight link between God's righteousness and justice on this earth, and we're going to want to explore that in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. 
If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Dave Bast, along with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork, where today we're talking about justice, especially uh, the biblical concept, and we're looking at key passages in the Old Testament. Here's one more from Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But let those who boast boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, hesed, with justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. So <laughs> there it is right there. If you want to know God, if you want to please God, uh, know that he is the God of justice and steadfast love and righteousness. Righteousness, and they go together. And they go together in an even better known passage, which many of uh, us in the church know quite well, and that's Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So that is our duty. Uh, those yeah. are our marching orders, and it's not rocket science, as somebody once put it. Not easy to do, but it's not hard to understand. We need to know what God loves, what God defines as right, and then live that way. Right, and I mean, this is part of the importance of God revealing his own character to us. God is the the ruler not only in the sense that he rules over, but he's the ruler like the straight edge, you know, uh, that we can line up our mm. lives against and know whether we're in sync or out of sync uh, with what ought to be. There's another well-known image in one of the prophets, I think it's Amos, the image of the plumb line. Right. And, yep. uh, you know, that's that weighted line that I guess they do it all digitally now. With, right, with, yeah. Uh, but they used to hold up a string with a weight at the bottom. Right. And you could tell if the the wall was out of plumb or not right. by, by comparing it to the line. And that's how the character of God himself functions for our concept of justice. I really don't think it's possible to have any idea of justice if you don't believe in God. What are you going to base it on? Just somebody else's ideas? I mean, exactly. I mean, and there are a lot of philosophers who have said, can we be good without God? Well, at some point, you're you're when you start defining what is good, what's right, what's wrong, you you got to hit bottom at some point. I mean, people could disagree on this stuff, and they do all the live long day. But when do you hit bottom? When do you find a bottom line? Well, for Christians uh, and for for people of faith, that is God Himself. And what we see again and again, particularly in the Old Testament. When we think about the righteousness of God and how that translates into justice in our lives, what we see again and again, and this is why, Dave, it's not just, as we said, about retributive justice of sending criminals to jail. It's about distributive justice, making sure that everybody's got a fair shot, that everybody gets a fair shake, because justice in our lives, as God's righteousness is the reference point for that, is all about how we treat 
other people, and particularly in a fallen world, how we treat vulnerable people. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the history of Israel and God's dealings with them and the laws that God gave them, we will look at this uh, in this series uh, because it's a fascinating and important part of it. But God was constantly pointing out people who were most at risk in their society. And that supremely uh, was the, the widow and the orphan because they had no male to defend them, no adult male. Again, without a government functioning with laws and protections and, and courts and police, if your own family couldn't protect you, you were really out there. Yep. Yeah, no, so, no protection. Yeah, exactly. And the foreigner, the stranger who is within thy gates, as I originally learned yeah. in the Ten Commandments, thy, the stranger within thy gates. And, and God is reminding his people over and over again, don't forget, you were slaves in Egypt. You know what it means to be refugees. You know what it means to be a foreigner in a strange land. So be aware of those people in your midst and care for them. Take care of them. Don't do to uh, the immigrant uh, or the refugee in your midst what the Egyptians did to you when you were the foreigner in their midst. But of course, alas, even though Leviticus and God's law makes always makes extra provision for widows, orphans, and foreigners, the people of Israel went the other way and they they became self-indulgent and when that happened god was relentless listen to this raw imagery from micah 3 where god is excoriating israel for not doing justice to those who are vulnerable listen you heads of jacob you rulers of the house of israel should you not know justice you who hate the good and love the evil You tear the skin off my people and the flesh off their bones. You eat the flesh of my people. You flay their skin off of them. You break their bones in pieces. You chop them up like meat in a kettle, like flesh in a cauldron. There's nothing subtle about that. God is calling the leaders of Israel cannibals. It is is as though you are eating people alive. When you mistreat them. Yeah. When you exploit them. Here's another passage, uh, this one from Amos. And, And incidentally... These are the passages that produce the caricature of the Old Testament prophet. You know, the guy with the beard who right. who's angry and carries a sign, repent for the end is yeah. near. Well, it's passages like this, and they're all about justice. So Amos writes, or God speaking through the prophet says, Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? See, they're obeying those little provisions of the law, but they can't wait to get back to cheating people again. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Because they're shaking down the poor, they're putting their thumbs on the scales and overcharging people who already don't have money. Selling the needy for a pair of sandals, Amos said. Instead of making extra provision for them, uh, they they take extra disadvantage of them. And that, of course, is one of the great effects of sin. One of the biggest effects of sin is that it ruins shalom, and shalom is when everybody takes care of everybody else. And when that doesn't happen in a society, God is extremely angry. You know, I, I heard a story once about a man who had an angel show him a vision of hell. Uh, And in the vision, the man saw these people sitting around a huge banquet table that was groaning under the weight of the finest foods and meats and vegetables. I mean, it was an absolute gourmet feast. And the man said to the angel, well, that doesn't look like hell. That looks kind of nice. Except then he noticed that nobody could eat because every spoon and every fork was five feet long. 
And so it was hell because they could only smell and look at this delicious food, but they couldn't bring it to their mouths because the silverware was too long. So then the man said to the angel, what's heaven look like? And he was showing the exact same picture. And he said, well, I don't get it. Why is that heaven? And the angel said, look again. And then the man saw that everybody was taking those long spoons and feeding their neighbor across the table. The idea being, we are here to take care of each other. That's a shorthand definition of God's righteousness and of justice in our midst. Right. Shalom has been broken. God calls us to justice. Uh, one of the oldest questions in the Bible, am I my brother's keeper? Right. Cain asked. Right from the beginning. The, the answer is yes. Uh, that's what God expects us to be, and our brother is anyone in need. So uh, that's a lot from the Old Testament, and we've heard the prophets thunder, but what about Jesus? Isn't he nicer and kinder, and uh, isn't that all about grace? Well, no, I think we're going to find that Jesus, too, is just as concerned about justice in the New Testament, and we'll look at that next. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged familyfire.com. Well, you're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. And Dave, in this first of four programs on biblical justice, we've been all in the Old Testament so far. And guess what? When you get to the New Testament, that link between the righteousness of God and justice in our lives is just as snug and tight as it was in the Old Testament. In fact, in the Greek language of the New Testament, it's even a little bit more obvious to see because the word for righteousness in Greek is dikaiosune, and the word for justice is dikaios. They're the same root word. God's righteousness translates into our lives as justice when we follow what we see now in Jesus, the perfect righteous one. Right, and the righteousness that God demands for salvation is going to exceed anything we can produce. And so the gospel announcement, the gospel good news is that this righteousness from God is given to us through faith in Christ. It's a wonderful gift of grace, and we rejoice in that. But then it sets us on a quest for actual righteousness in our lives, in ourselves, Uh, the quest for holiness, but also the quest for shalom and uh, flourishing and justice and righteousness in society. And we said, we asked the question, what about Jesus and uh, these teaching of the prophets? And of course, Jesus endorses it all and uh, and lives it all uh, himself. But I also think of a story that Jesus told, one of his most famous stories, to a man who asked the question, who's my neighbor? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, this man was beset by robbers, and he was wounded, and he fell in the ditch. And the priest and the Levite kind of go by way on their on the other side of the road. They're hurrying off to the temple. And then along comes this Samaritan and shows mercy to the man, takes compassion, meets his need. And Jesus says, go do likewise. That's the neighbor. And it's all embodied in Jesus himself, as you said, Dave. In fact, as Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, puts it in Romans 3, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. 
The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So there's that linkage. Everything that was in the Old Testament, it's still righteousness. Now it's concentrated in Jesus, and we get Jesus through faith, and now he lives in us. So again, how we treat each other, the good Samaritan. How do we treat anybody we run across? Because they're all our neighbors, and that's going to be how God defines justice now for also us as Christians in the church. Recently on Groundwork, we did a whole series on the letter of James. James is kind of a counterbalance to the emphasis of Paul on on justification by faith alone, but James says, well, faith needs to show itself in works too. And here's a classic passage taken from James 1 and James 2. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Here it is, a famous verse. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And then James goes on, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but doesn't do anything about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And so James is relentless on that point, but but so is the whole Bible, so were the Old Testament prophets, so was Jesus. We are expected to do something. And today, Dave, in the church, unfortunately, sometimes this social action or to, you know going into society and, and doing things, sometimes, unfortunately, it gets a little controversial because to some people it looks suspiciously political. Uh, or, you know, as soon as we maybe in the church join with uh, an agency that isn't Christian per se, maybe it's Goodwill or UNICEF or, you know, uh, whatever, uh, the United Way, uh, and we join with them, people say, well, that's really none of the church's business. The church should just preach the gospel and hold worship and tell people to repent, but uh, all that social action goes beyond what we should do. Well, that's a little hard to figure out why you would think that based on the New Testament. Right. And, you know, there's a historical reason for this. I mean, in the early 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century, uh, a movement called the Social Gospel arose in America, and many conservative churches were put off by it because this was basically undertaken by Christian leaders and churches that no longer seemed to care very much about people actually coming to Jesus and and becoming believers and followers of him. So there is this historical tendency to shy away from this, but it's not primarily political. It's not left or right. Uh, This is biblical, this vision for uh, the flourishing of all and doing something about it, doing something real in society. Now, recognizing that politics is really pragmatic. It's the Mm -hmm. question of how best to accomplish, and there are disagreements about the level of what government's role should be and what the the role of other institutions should be. So, yeah, there's room for debate. There's room for disagreement. We need wisdom. We need, But the commitment to it, the desire to see that everybody has what they need, people don't suffer deprived lives, that they're not right. abused, that they're not taken advantage of. There are things in the world like slavery still right. today. Right. Children are sold for sex in some countries of the world. Women are exploited. Women are raped persistently as an act of war. These things need to be on the conscience and heart 
of every Christian. It reminds me of a story Tom Long told once of a, of a woman named Grace Thomas who late in life went to law school and then even later in life decided she wanted to run for governor of the state of Georgia. Uh, she was talking about justice issues in her campaign. It was around the time of school desegregation. She was holding a rally one time and a man interrupted her and said, are you a communist? And Grace said, well, no. And he said, well, where'd, the, where'd you get those gold-earned ideas about justice and all that? And Grace thought for a moment, pointed to the steeple of a nearby church and said, I learned it over there. I learned it in Sunday school. And indeed, that is how and where we learn what that verse from Micah 6, verse 8 earlier. God's shown us what to do, and that's to love justice and, and, and love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. That's what we do as disciples of Jesus. He's shown us what to do. Blessed are we if we do it. Well, thanks for joining our Groundwork Conversation. I'm Dave Bast with Scott Jose. We'd like to know how we can help you continue digging deeper into Scripture. Visit GroundworkOnline.com to tell us what topics or passages you'd like to dig into next on Groundwork. And Groundwork is a joint production by Reframe Media and Words of Hope. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, our post-production supervisor, Mark Grenth, our studio relations manager is Christy Prinz, our content and managing producer is Courtney Jacob, and our executive producer is Stephen Koster. 